five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga, Bazinga forever. forever. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. Now, I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we are looking at Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which is the newest Marvel film and sequel to the hugely successful 2018 film, Black Panther. This film, of course, does not star uh, T'Challa, the, the Black Panther himself, from the last film and from the Avengers films, because, of, as everyone knows, Chadwick Boseman sadly passed away uh, a few years ago. This film follows Martin Freeman's character, Emmett Ross, as he takes up the mantle of the Black Panther. Um, this uh, film is directed by Ryan Coogler, and we'll be discussing it later. But first, of course, we've got some admin to do and such. So also, we're going to have a review of The Menu from our friend Lewis. Uh, I have not seen it yet, because I just haven't. Um, but... Yes, you're going to be giving a review of the menu uh, and your your thoughts on the Banshees of Inisherin, which you didn't talk about last time. So um, we're going to talk about it this time. And I'll be giving my thoughts on Black Adam, which I didn't review on the last episode. So it's um, it's been a while since we recorded, Lewis. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It has been a while since we recorded, but not as long as previous times. I think this is going to be our third episode this month, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, but the thing is, though, is that we recorded ages ago. Even though the episode came out relatively recently, well, we recorded that is it. True, like, we did re- the last time I recorded as well because you did the Halloween special with JL. Yeah, with JL, which came out before the episode that you're on. Yeah, it was recorded. So after. it has been a while, and it is good to be back. Which means you're going to have an awful lot to, um, to talk about and what you watched. And I'm not going to have much because I had like an 18 day break from films when I was on holiday. So That is um, true. Yeah. I took the watch. You to say that I'm going to have a lot to talk about in what we've watched, but perhaps I'm not. Let's find out. Oh, you're not. You were saying earlier, you talked to me earlier and you were like, oh, I've seen 35 films in three days. Ooh. Well,. I took it, there was a long gap. I didn't watch any, anything for like 20 days between Black Adam and the first film I watched after Black Adam. But it just so happens that that was like four days ago and I've watched a lot in the past four days. Well, I haven't watched a lot, okay. but for four days I've watched a lot. Right, okay. So um, I think it makes sense for me to talk about what I've watched first. Because I have watched one thing I can talk about. Because I did all my dirty laundry with JL and all the horror films I watched. So now I uh, I can only really discuss uh, Black Adam. Which I saw at the start of the month. Um, so you reviewed Black Adam on the last episode that we released. Uh, and you kind of said that... Well, you, you said it was kind of pretty shit but you enjoyed it kind of that was like your kind yeah, of general kind consensus of, yeah. i thought it was pretty good you know like I, I really i didn't i don't think it's it's uh you know exactly oscar worthy or anything but i i really enjoyed it um the first half drags a lot and the human characters are far from interesting which is a problem i think dc has often um but i thought that the the as you kind of said the um, what they call the Justice Society was very interesting. Uh, I thought they were all very good. Um, yeah, I actually, you know, remember being kind of in uh, absolute kind of shock that when you said like, "Oh no, no, Centineo was good," 
But I thought he was really good, actually, when I had to watch myself. I'm a little bit confused about why you went on about Piers Brosnan so much, because I thought he was just kind of... I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you noticed that as a particularly interesting performance. I thought he was just kind of the same as everyone else. I uh, thought he was If I great. was going to go for a standout. Standout-wise, I'd probably say um, Aldous Hodge. Is his name Aldous Hodge? Is that the right, yeah. is that the right guy? Yeah, he was great. Yeah, Aldous Hodge. I thought, I thought he was probably the standout myself. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought the, the action was really... Uh, entertaining. Uh, I thought it was very good fun. So I would, um, I would probably kind of give it close to a to a seven or something. Um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much all I can talk about really. I'm sure there is um, some TV stuff that I am forgetting because it doesn't have an easily loggable thing on Letterboxd. Um, but uh, until I remember that, um, yeah, you you can take it away. Yeah, I've watched. Like I say, I took a long gap. There was I watched Black Adam on the twentieth of November and then I didn't watch anything until the 10th of November so that's a long time for me um and then I've kind of been hammering it out for the past week or so um and the first thing I watched was Call Jane uh which is a film about um a group of women in America who call themselves the Janes who basically set up illegal abortions for women in the 1950s and 60s um, when abortions were illegal. Um, and it was about this suburban wife, suburban housewife, who falls pregnant and needs an abortion. If she doesn't get the abortion, then she will die. Um, and she's denied an, an abortion, so she goes and gets one illegally, and then she decides to help out the Janes and become one of the Janes. And it's about that kind of stuff. And sadly, unfortunately, it was a very forgettable film. Um, it was okay, it was fairly decent, but it was very forgettable. Um, you know, it was an important topic with important, like, discussions to be had, especially nowadays. Um, but ultimately, it was just a very forgettable film with forgettable performances that were all perfectly serviceable, but nothing special. And I don't even remember anyone's names in it because it was just forgettable. Sigourney Weaver was in it, um, and she was pretty cool. Um, and Elizabeth Banks was the main character, but again, don't know their characters' names because it was just a forgettable film. Um, the next thing I watched was Living, the film with Bill Nye in it, about a guy who gets told he's got not long to live and decides he wants to live, like, live life to the full for his last few months, however long he's got It's a remake of a Kurosawa film, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I can't remember which one, but it is a remake of a Kurosawa film. Um... And I enjoyed living. Bill Nye gives a great performance. He's really fantastic. Um, and I did like it, but I wanted to love it. I wanted to like it so much more than I did. I just, it didn't, it didn't grab me in the way that I wanted it to. I, the cinematography was great. The performances were great. The music was great. Everything about it was great. I just didn't love it. I didn't connect with it in the way that I wanted to. I liked it, but I wanted to love it. Um... And then the next thing I watched, which is very weird because we were speaking about this, I think it was last night, we have both watched the same Swedish short film <laughs> on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that was called very... Called To Kill a Child. Yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, like, that was really weird. I watched it like two and a half weeks before you with no justification. I just saw it on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, and and I watched that as well. And it was pretty good. It was pretty decent. I enjoyed it. Um, then I watched Black Panther. Child. Which we're talking. Well, then I watched Black Panther that we're talking about later. Then I watched Lyle Lyle mm. Crocodile, um, which <laughs> right, how's that? It was all right. 
it was exactly what you'd expect. It was like a kid's music film. Um, very, very weird decision to me, but Lyle the Crocodile couldn't speak. Um, he could only sing, which I thought was really bizarre. I think it would have been a lot better if he tr- if he could speak. Um, it was basically a Paddington wannabe. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't great. It didn't impress me that much. Um, then I watched Confess Fletch with John Hamm in it, and I had no expectations for this. I just went to see it because there was nothing else on, and I wanted to kill some time. Um, but it really impressed me. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's like a murder mystery. Um, but not in the same way that like Knives Out is a murder mystery. It's not a whodunit necessarily. It's about a man who's framed for murder and he's trying to prove his innocence. It's a bit of a comedy, um, and it, it's pretty great. John Hamm's fun in it. It's got a fun story. The characters are all enjoyable, um, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's a very fun film, and people should definitely go and watch it. It's a great, it's a great bucket load of fun. Go and watch it. Um, then I watched The Menu, which we might talk about in a minute. I don't know when we're doing that, so I'll skip over that. Um, then I watched Armageddon Time, which is a film about um, a Jewish family in America in the 1960s, I think? 1970s, maybe? Um, oh, it's the 1970s. Definitely the 1970s. And um, it's about this kid who goes to school and befriends a black kid. And then he goes to a private school where there are no black kids and all the other kids are racist. Um, and it the film doesn't really know what it wants to be. It wants to be a family drama. It also wants to be a social commentary. Um, it also wants to be like a buddy kind of coming of age film. Um, it's very muddy. It doesn't really know what it wants to be. Some decent performances from the cast, but nothing special. Like I say, it just gets confused in itself in trying to decide what it wants to be. Um, I watched Carol, which uh, for the first time, it came out seven years ago, the other day, and I kept seeing posts about it on Twitter, so I thought I'll watch it. I watched it and it was brilliant. Some gorgeous cinematography, gorgeous um, performances from Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, amazing costume design, a wonderful, wonderful film, genuinely a fantastic little Christmas film. Anyway, it's a Christmas film. And um, it's a very sad film about these two women who fall in love, but ultimately their love isn't allowed to flourish because they live in the 50s and they're gay. Um, But it's still a very beautiful love story, nevertheless. Um, And the last thing I watched that I will talk about somewhat in depth is Alejandro G. Inuritu's newest film, Bardo, False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths. I went to see that. I had no idea what I was in for. It was... I hadn't watched the trailer. I hadn't seen a single frame from it. I didn't even know if it was in English. I'd never gone into a film this blindly before. I just bought a ticket, turned up, knowing that it was in Yuritu's next film, and decided to watch it. And holy moly, it was great. Oh god, it was good. It was so, so good. I... it's so bizarre. Because this film is very divisive. It's got like 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's his lowest rated film. I think of the ones that I've seen, it's my favourite Inuitu film. I think it's just amazing. Um, But I completely get why it's divisive. Because there's not much substance to it. It's very... It can feel very style over substance. But there's nothing wrong with style. So it's just brilliant. It's very pretentious and artsy. Um, and there's like a film within a film 
within a hallucination, kind of. And about an hour into the film, Inuritu takes a break and gives a character a monologue about the very film that we're watching and talks about how the film we are sat watching is just full of pretentious, artsy bullshit and metaphorical but ultimately meaningless symbolism um, and talks about how awful and stupid and big-headed and obnoxious that is. And then two minutes later, the protagonist goes on a rant about how, yes, it is pretentious, artsy bullshit, full of metaphorical but ultimately meaningless symbolism that's just stupid and obnoxious. But that's why it's amazing. And sometimes pretentious artsy bullshit can be great. And this is when it is great. It's like three hours of just incoherent scenes stitched together to tell the vague story of a midlife crisis. It's absolutely magical. It's amazing. It, <laughs> I absolutely loved it. And I want to go and see it again. It's amazing. I cannot urge you enough. Please try and go and see this in the cinema because it is an experience. It's an experience to be had. There's a scene about an hour and a half in, um, a dance sequence that goes on for about 15 minutes and it is scene of the year for me so far. It's absolutely amazing. I am obsessed with Bardo, one of my favourite films I've seen this year. Absolutely fantastic. Flock to see Bardo. It's in select theatres now and it's on Netflix some point in December. Please go and watch it. It's fantastic. And Good other stuff. than the menu, okay. which we're going to talk about properly, that's all I've seen. <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, you've also we're also going to get you to do a little bit of your thoughts on the Banshees of Inner Sharing, but oh, first yes. we're going to have a talk about the news. So you got some news for me over the last uh, few weeks. So I do. Um, let's start off sad. Let's get the sad news out of the way. Kevin Conroy has died, the voice of Batman in the oh, animated series yeah, yeah. and the Arkham games. Very, very sad. He was like the iconic voice of Batman in the cartoons and the games. Kevin Conroy, rest in peace. Yeah, I um, I know a lot of people uh, have a lot of, of love for the the Batman original uh, animated series uh, yeah. from the from the the nineties, um, and I think that's kind of a lot of people's uh, introduction to Batman. Also, know that's kind of that's where Harley Quinn was was invented. Um, uh, I didn't ever grow up with the the Batman uh, series. Uh, you know, I've 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 almost I've kind of been tempted to go back and watch it now because of the praise it's got. But for me, uh, Kevin Conroy has a, a place in my heart because of the games. Uh, you know, I played yeah. the, the Arkham games through, um, and I love the Arkham games. Um, so yeah, it's I, I while I don't uh, necessarily resonate with his his most well known work, um, he still uh, was a big part of the the kind of Batman world, the Batman mythos uh, for me. Yeah, me too. I didn't really grow up with the animated series, but when I played the Arkham games, um, I kind of went back and watched a few episodes of the animated series um, when I first played the Arkham games when they came out, and they were great, and this has just made me want to go back and watch more, um, because he is like the iconic voice of Batman, and it's very sad that he's died. Um, Indeed. Some other news. Last we spoke... Uh, I told you that Parasite had become the first film to join the 2 million watched club on Letterboxd. The 2 million watched club on Letterboxd now has a second member. Care to guess what it is? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go for The Batman. No, it's not The Batman, but you're on the right lines. Uh, Endgame. 
No, your father no, Calder. No, Calder. Oh, um, well, so if it's colder, it means it's either oh, the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight. No, but warmer. Um, <laughs> um, uh, fucking. So, um, um, is it a DC film? Yeah, it's a DC film. Came out the same year as Parasite. It came out the same year. A DC film that came out the same year as Parasite. Yeah. Um, oh, Joker, 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 yeah. Joker. Yeah, Joker is officially the second member of the Two Million Watch Club on Letterboxd. Um, some smaller news. We got our first look at Elemental. The trailer came out. Pixar's next film. I haven't seen it. I assume you. Pixar are going for a bold new strategy that they've not gone for with their previous films. Of what if things that didn't have emotions had emotions? <laughs> yeah, that is basically what they're doing. Um, also a bizarre concept because they are pitching it as like, what if all the elements lived together and coexisted? And it's like they do. They do. There's fire, yeah. earth, air, and water on Earth. They do coexist. Yeah. Like that's yeah, they don't have this feelings, isn't though. this isn't like Toy Story or Cars or anything like that. This is this is just the world. The elements coexist. Yeah, but what if emotions had feelings? Oh, fuck, <laughs> done it. What if death had feelings? Shit. Um, souls. Fuck. <laughs> the. Um, you should you should write for Pixar all of these things having feelings. It's great. Have you ever seen that like that tweet where it's like the like tweet generator um, for Phoebe Bridges, where it's like the hot people who eat croissants are dangerous. It's like if you yeah. just spin a wheel of just list of things, and then whichever it lands on, just add <laughs> had feelings, and that's how they come up with Pixar films. That is how Pixar come up with spin it. It's, yeah. What if that- shoes had feelings? I've got a film for you. <laughs> Shoes the movie by Pixar. That sounds great. Yeah. Um what if some, news... Have feelings? <laughs> some news from today. Um Jan Demange, uh, I hope I'm not butchering that pronunciation, is the new director of Blade, um the Mahershala Ali Marvel film. Um he is the new director of Blade. He's done a few things, not many. Um, he directed, I think he directed Lovecraft Country. It's on his filmography. Yeah. Um, haven't seen Lovecraft Country, but heard good stuff. And he also did Top Boy, which you've told me about, but I've never seen. What do you mean I've told you about Top Boy? It's like one of the most well-known TV shows. It's like saying you told me about Breaking this is, Bad. This is why you told me about it, because I said I've never heard of Top Boy. And you said Top Boy is like one of the most famous TV shows. And I was like, I've never yeah. heard of it, never seen it. Some fucking the new series are on Netflix. I think yeah. the old series are also on Netflix as well, but they weren't originally on Netflix. They were on Channel Four. Yeah, but that is the yeah. that is the the new director of Blade, the man behind Top Boy and Lovecraft Country. Um, right, <clears throat> Margot Robbie's Pirates of the Caribbean film is scrapped. It's not happening anymore. Um, wow, what a surprise! Ca- kind of grateful because the the franchise died a long time ago, and there was no point in trying to revive it. Um, but yeah, that's gone. Um, Brendan Fraser, who is receiving wide critical acclaim for his performance in The Whale this year and is predicted to get a lot of awards love, is boycotting the Golden Globes. Um, he said it would be very hypocritical of him to go to the Golden Globes. If you don't know why it would be hypocritical for him to go to the Golden Globes, it's because he was sexually assaulted by the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association 
um, and they basically blacklisted him, and that's why he's not been in any films for about 15 years. Um, and now he's back, and he said even if he's not nominated, he's not going to the Golden Globes. So good on Brendan Fraser. Good on Brendan Fraser. Indeed, indeed. Um, wasn't there also some some Star Wars scrapping news? I don't know if you've got this written oh, down I, for yourself. I don't have this written down, but they've probably scrapped something. It feels like Star Wars scrapped they scrapped something a, every other week. They scrapped week. a Star Wars film, and then they announced that they're also making another Star Wars film. Oh, right. That's the... <laughs> I look forward that, to that one the getting scrapped as well. They... <laughs> Yeah, they got they 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 stopped one director and they brought in another director. I, I think well, they scrapped a film and then now they announced the director's making a different film. But I, this is the least story story. Let me find out the details. You carry on with your news. I'll find out what this was. <laughs> Star Wars scrapped something and greenlit something else that will inevitably be scrapped. That was <laughs> every week. <laughs> um, while you're doing that, we got a new look at Indiana Jones Five. Some stills were released, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen, and the guy himself, Harrison Ford. Uh, We still don't know what it's called, but a trailer is expected to drop at some point this month. And as of today, there are only eight days left of the month. So in the next week, we'll probably get an Indiana Jones trailer and, more importantly, the title of the next Indiana Jones film. Um, Chris Rock... Chris Rock, who was slapped in the penis by he was Will Smith at the Oscars by Chris Ross, yeah, um, by Chris Ross, um, he will have a live comedy special on Netflix in 2023. And by live, I mean live, as in it's being streamed in real time on Netflix. Um, really, Netflix is streaming. They are. Netflix are doing live streaming. Um, we've basically circled wow. round to traditional television. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, basically. Yeah, that that is what's happening. Something similar happened last night with Elton John. Elton John's farewell tour was live streamed on Disney Plus. Um and now oh. Chris Rock is gonna have a live comedy special on Netflix in twenty twenty three. Um do you have the Star Wars news yet? Because I've only got two more pieces of news written down. So I believe it, I cannot find out who was chucked out, but I do know that they're in talks with Sean Levy of Stranger Things and Deadpool fame to direct a new Star Wars film. So I know Sean Levy is, but I cannot find the guy who got his film cancelled. Give me, well, I'm, I'm, I'll find that in a second. Well, I look forward to Sean Levy's Star Wars film being cancelled in the coming months. Um, is that, that's a <laughs> that's is that is that particular is that targeted? Do you not like Sean Levy? Oh no, it's just it will happen. It will never get made. It will, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> um, Quentin Tarantino has famously said he will only ever make 10 films. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his his last film, as in the film he last made. Uh, that was his ninth film, so his next film is his last. And he is delaying that by making an eight-episode miniseries uh, next year. That is his next project. Uh, likely at HBO, but we're not certain. And uh, that's what he's doing with his life. I feel like he regrets saying he he would only make 10 films. So now he's trying to not make his 10th film uh, and just move on to TV. Yeah. I've also seen a few people say that he made Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is basically the most Tarantino film of his. It's excessively violent, lots of feet, and it's all about classic cinema. 
And he made that and realized, yeah. actually, this is the perfect one to go out on. I don't want to make another one, so I'm just going to make other stuff now. He's moved on. He's writing books, um, and he's doing TV. He's always said he might do a play. So who knows? Maybe he won't make a 10th film. But if he does, he's making a TV show first. Um, and the last I piece don't know of news... if it's one of the scrapped episode or if it is on an existing episode, but one of the first ever pieces of news I remember covering on the podcast, I believe in a now scrapped episode, was that um, Tarantino was seriously considering um, making the Star Trek film that he'd been talking about for years. Um, oh, I forgot about that. I wonder that. if, yeah, I wonder if that will ever. I, my guess is that will never happen. Maybe um, it's an eight-episode Star to, Wars show, Star Trek show. That would be so sick. Star Trek. <laughs> did I say Star Wars? I meant Star Trek. I said Star Trek. Uh, talking I said of Star, Star Wars. Wars Star talking of Star Wars. The director whose film is something made <laughs> is called J.D. Dillard. Oh, nice, nice. Um. The last piece of news, potentially the biggest piece of news that's happened since I've been on the pod, I think. <laughs> I can say that. I mean, no. I mean, that's very... I mean, I don't know. You could probably say, like, there's, like, 15 things that you could have said that would qualify for that. What about fucking Chadwick Boseman dying? That happened on the podcast. Not while I was on the podcast. Did that not happen when you were on the podcast? Chadwick... Didn't Chadwick Boseman die in 2019? Or 2020? Early 2020. 2020. I don't know if it was early. It was definitely 2020. Oh, yeah, of course, because you came on for but the... either way, I think this the is Oscars, the big... Other than, like, was... death, right, okay. which is obviously different. Okay, well, I'll let you I think then. this is but the I'm biggest sure news, has been news in the entertainment industry since Warner Brothers announced that all of their 2021 releases would be on streaming same days in cinemas. I think this is up there with that. Well, I'm sure there has been... I'm sure there has been news that's, that's as big as this. Like, I don't know if this is necessarily the very peak... I think this is the peak. I think it doesn't get like bigger news than this. Um, and the biggest news is, because I think the last time there was news of this size, I do think it was when Warner Brothers said all of our 2021 films are going to be on HBO Max the same days in cinemas. That was an insane decision. And this is also an insane decision. If you're, watch if you're listening to this and you have no idea what we're talking about, let me put you out of your misery. Because the big news is, in the middle of the night, Last night, out of nowhere, Disney's CEO, Bob Chapek, was fired. Or he stepped down. But, you know, he was definitely fired. He randomly stepped down in the middle of the night. And Bob Iger is back. Robert Iger. Robert Iger is back as Disney's CEO. Huge news. He left in January 2020. And he was like, I've had 20 years at the company, or however many years he had. I'm happy. I'm done. Bob Chapek came in. Fucked everything up, and now Bob Iger's back. Bob Iger is like, I, I was I was reading a lot of people talking about Bob Iger, and it's true. He is the reason Disney is as big as it is today. Like I saw someone say, his contributions to Disney are up there with Walt Disney himself, um, and I think I that's probably true. He oversaw the Pixar acquisition, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Fox. Um, Disney Plus, he took the Disney from being the huge media company that it was to being the massive conglomerate giant that it is. Um, and so, he, when did he when did he leave last time? When did, 2020. Was it, it first didn't end. Okay. He left immediately. It makes me laugh. He joined Disney, acquired Pixar, acquired Marvel, acquired Lucasfilm, acquired Fox, set up Disney Plus, gave Disney the highest grossing film of all time at the time, then left for the two most difficult years the entertainment industry has seen 
probably since the war for COVID. Then once the dust settled after the pandemic, he's back. <laughs> he just he yeah, he dipped for the really. most difficult two years. Um, and I think <laughs> you know, I am Disney's biggest criticizer, critic. That's critic. the word. Um, I'm not a massive fan of Bob Iger, but compared to Bob Chappick, he is amazing. Bob Chappick always said he loves IP. He loves pre-existing IP. He's not interested in making original stories. He's not interested in like creatively driven stories. He said just a few weeks ago that animation is just for kids and adults don't really care about it. He's the reason that Pixar, their films have been relegated to going straight on Disney+. Plus. Um, he's not great for the creatives. Most of the people at Disney hate him. Um, and now Bob Iger's back. Bob Iger cares more about the creative vision of the directors and the filmmakers. Not tons, obviously. It's still Disney. Um, but he cares more about that. He cares more about animation. He cares more about originality and original ideas rather than just pre-existing IP milking film series, making remakes and all that stuff. The only bad thing about Iger being back is that he is the reason that Disney Plus did not have adult content on it when it first launched. And there is a very real possibility that adult content will be removed from Disney Plus again internationally. Because he has always said mm. one of his biggest things is that Disney is a family brand. He doesn't want it to be, you know, R-rated or anything like that. Yeah, that's concerning. Yeah. But that is it. Bob Iger is back. Huge shock news. What do you think about that, Sam? What do I think? I mean, I I, I, I guess I'm supposed to care. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, the thing is, is that it's not necessarily like this is some grand revolution because it's only been in a different situation for two years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't think Disney has itself changed ridiculously within those two years. Um, maybe that would have changed if, if this, uh, if Chapek had 10 years, maybe things where you'd have had a noticeable change, but in two yeah. years, I can't say that, you know, we can really see how much, it, you know, it hasn't changed astronomically, especially because, you know, a lot of progress has been slowed down by COVID and stuff. Yeah, if it means that there are more creatively driven projects, that's good with me. If, you know, it means that perhaps the the kind of current um over over excess of of their uh, biggest IPs, Star Star Wars and Marvel, you know, if maybe they focus on making quality over quantity, um that that would be a good thing. But yeah, again, I'm slightly concerned because uh, I'm I'm worried about the the lack of adult content. That that does concern me. I've heard a lot about that over the last few days and if that is true uh then that will be a, a worse thing for for the industry but we'll have to see i mean hopefully i mean i'd like to see them i, I i'm happy for for disney to be a family brand if they kind of re-establish um kind of fox uh with some sort of autonomy to yeah. kind of work within them in the same way that they have with like pixar in the past um before they kind of started to dominate pixar a little bit much a little bit more which is probably more of a chapic thing um yeah I mean, if, if Fox is given some autonomy, I'll be happy with it. But yeah, I'd, I hope there's still some adult content out there. Yeah, the other thing that Iger has always said is that he is a champion of the theatrical experience and he it's likely that he will extend Disney's theatrical window. Um, at the minute, it's 40 days, I think, or it's 45 days. It's likely that that will go back to being at least 60 days, maybe even 90 days. Um, at the minute, it's 
barely over a month since hitting theaters and then hitting Disney Plus. There are rumors that Wakanda Forever is going to be on Disney Plus on the 16th of December, which is just over a month. Um, Iger will likely extend that to being back to the original, maybe not 90 days because the industry has changed massively because of COVID, but certainly he'll almost certainly take it back up to 60 days. Okay, um, lastly, um, we have been talking about doing a Doctor Who episode for ages, and we keep saying, oh, guys, next time we've got a Doctor Who episode, oh, this one's a new Doctor Who episode. Even in my last episode, I promised that we'd have three episodes out in, in you know in quick succession, one of which was Doctor Who. We haven't done it. We still do plan to get it out soon when we can. But there is some Doctor Who news that you didn't mention, which is that Millie Gibson has been unveiled as Ruby Sunday, who is the new companion in Doctor Who, will be the companion to Chuty Gatua's 15th Doctor. Um, so uh, she is best known for playing Kelly in Coronation Street. I'm not at all familiar with Coronation Street. I've never watched it, um, but that is what she's best known for. Uh, I've seen an awful lot of people um, on Twitter and stuff going, oh, is that where the level we are now? We're getting actors from Cory. I mean, how ridiculous, because think of all the actors and actresses that have come through soap operas that are super well-known now. You could say, like, half of the fucking Australian industry has been through fucking, you know, Hollyoaks and stuff. Um, not Hollyoaks, sorry. What's the Australian one called? Um, Neighbours, sorry. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's a million actors that have come through soaps. And also, Doctor Who has cast complete unknowns before in major roles, such as Matt Smith, and it worked out for the best. So, well, in my opinion, not so much. But in general, <laughs> most people's belief, the best. So, um, yeah. So that's a ridiculous cons- uh, issue. But, yeah. Um, there, there yeah is a, you know, there's a reason I didn't mention me. that. Why is that? Um, I didn't want to know who the new companion was. <laughs> oh, um, it's Millie Gibson. She was in Coronation Street. I don't know who that is anyway. She so it's not, like, it's not like you said Meryl Streep is the new companion. Yeah, it was never going to be. You're new to Doctor Who. Don't expect to have heard of anyone. Yeah, I wasn't. It was I wasn't a big deal that. that we'd heard of Chuty Gatwa. Like, yeah, you, you just have to just take it as as you come. I don't know if I'd heard of almost any of the. I think someone said Bradley. Um, I don't remember her name, but the girl from It's a Sin. Is she called Lydia something? Lydia West. That's it, Lydia West. Some people said it might have been her, um, and that would have been cool. So I didn't want to know yes. who it was. So I had muted it all and not read it. So that's why I didn't mention it. But now I know. But at I least she, I don't know who she, she is. She seems more doctor than companion to me. Oh, fair enough. Anyway, um, let's go on. Let's move on. Um, I would like not a particularly long review. A quick thoughts on the Banshees of Inner Sharon, please. I, I will oblige. Uh, the Banshees of Inner Sharon. I saw it a few weeks ago. I won't see it with my dad again because I loved it. I loved it. It's brilliant. Um, it's Martin McDonough's um, film after the Oscar-winning Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, he reunites with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson from In Bruges, and it's a fantastic film. It's about two friends, best of friends, and one day one of them just decides, I don't like you. And it's about that relationship falling apart, and it's about the mental impact, the emotional impact it has on Colin Farrell's character, unbelievably great performances from Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, um, but not enough people are ringing Barry Keown. Is that, isn't it? Is that how you say his second name? I believe so, yeah. 
Yeah, Barry Keown, not enough people are ringing his praises. He is phenomenal in this film, and in my opinion, he steals the show. He plays such an innocent and naive and sweet person who you just cannot help but feel sorry for. I have never felt more sorry for a character than I do for his character and for Colin Farrell's character. It's a great film. It's really funny. It's got such a a witty, funny, and devastating and emotional script. Um, Martin McDonagh's direction is top-notch. All of the performances are top-notch. Great cinematography, great score, unbelievably good editing as well. Um, The way that it cuts certain scenes together that I won't get into because I don't want to spoil it for you, is is really intelligently done. The Everything about it, the production design, the costume design, it's fantastic. It's one of the best films of the year. It's really fantastic. It's funny. It's a crowd pleaser. Go and see it. It's great. There's, It's really funny, but it's also very, very sad. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll make you jump with joy. It's brilliant. Is, that, uh, it. is that Richard E. Grant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is you know this is it's the best star wars film ever the banshees of Inisha. yeah <laughs> yeah arguably um okay nice um can i ask can i also ask a favor of you my friend you can ask can i ask you please to give me a review of the menu the menu and also to tell and also to tell me what the menu is uh, the menu is a film starring Ralph Fiennes and Nicholas Holt and Anya Taylor-Joy. And it is about a group of rich people who go to an island to experience a very exclusive kind of menu, tasting experience from a very acclaimed chef. Um, And things kind of go a bit tits up. Shit hits the fan a little bit. It's kind of, I wouldn't say it's a horror. I think it's more of a thriller. Um, But it's also very, very funny. Um, Hong Chao kind of steals the show in it, to be fair. She plays one of the servers um, and she's fantastic. Um, It's very funny. It's thrilling. Uh, It's kind of edge of your seat stuff. But even the thing that I found with it is before shit hits the fan and we really get into the plot of the the, the reason we're all here. Um, it's just a film about a bunch of rich people sat down eating very pretentious food cooked by a very pretentious chef. And I could have sat there and watched that for hours. It, the script was so good. The performances were so brilliant. Cinematography is so great. It's all set in one room and it kind of puts multiple conversations in the same frame and shifts focus to shifts between the conversations. It's fantastic. I could have sat there for three hours and just watched this group of actors talking about the food and and Ralph Fiennes as well. It's a great film, honestly. Why are you saying Ralph Fiennes? I'm saying Ralph Fiennes intentionally instead of Ray Fiennes. Why? Um, Why? His name's Rafe. His name is Rafe, yeah, but it's spelt Ralph. And I don't remember where I read it, but a few weeks ago, um, well, in fact, no, I'll, I'll say it with I don't remember where I read it, but I read once that he hates being called Ralph, even though his name is spelt Ralph. Um, and a few weeks ago, he came out and said um, that J.K. Rowling is actually a really nice person and she's doing great stuff. So I've made the stance to call him Ralph now as my little way to annoy right. him if he ever listens to this I pr- podcast. So yeah, Ralph. He's a, he's a frequent off. listener, actually. He is a, a frequent listener, so he is. So when you listen to this, to be Ralph, fair, it is kind of his fault for being spelt Ralph. Right? It is. It's like, spelt Ralph. He, if 
he, if he wanted to not be called Ralph, he could have just changed the spelling. Like, yeah. Especially when he became an actor. He could have like, taken have the L out. Down your name. Take the L out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. When he's like joined the his union or whatever, he could have just spelled it R-A-I-F. Yeah. And then no one would have ever called him Ralph. But now I'm going to call him Ralph. <laughs> You're going to call him Ralph. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. that's just a little way to annoy him. Fuck you, Ralph. Right. Um, but Ralph, right, as okay. much as I don't like the guy... He is kind of great in this film. <laughs> he makes a great villain. Um, although it's weird. I don't know why. The three main characters in this film are all British and they all do American accents to varying degrees of success. Uh, Ralph Fiennes does it to the least success. It took me out of it a little bit. Also, because he's playing like a creepy villain, um, I think it would have worked so much better if he did just keep his British accent um, instead of trying to do an American one. Um, don't know why... He didn't do his British accent, but he should have done. Um, but yeah, it's it's really great. The cinematography is fantastic. The editing is fantastic. The screenplay is on point. Really one of my favourite experiences I've had in the cinema of the past few months. It was packed. Uh, it was very busy. And it, like I say, it's an edge of your seat kind of a few moments where the entire screen just kind of goes <gasps> and gasps uh, at what happens. Right. Um, and it really is fantastic fantastic film i am shocked with how much i loved it my only criticism of it and i do mean only criticism of it is there's one scene towards the end and once you've seen it i would love to talk about it in detail but there's one scene towards the end where something happens and i was i i often say this i kept thinking to myself please cut to black and end now this is the perfect time to end it and it didn't it went for another two minutes and i just thought no no that extra two minutes didn't really add anything. It would have been so much better if they just cut to black. And if you watch it, maybe you'll think the same thing at the same moment that I did. If you don't think it, then you're wrong because it should have cut to black at that moment instead. But it didn't. But it was still great. And I still gave it four and a half stars on Letterboxd. So I'd give it a nine out of ten. Okay, nice. Very and I'd give, I'd give Banshees um, a nine out of ten as well. I don't want to sound mean to the woman because she's done nothing wrong. Um, but have you heard Mia Goth talk? <laughs> I have, yeah. She sounds like a CBBS presenter. Yeah, because you were talking about creepy English voices, and I was like, I, I love X, and I'm very excited for whenever we get Pearl. But yeah. no matter what horror horror performance she she puts on, it probably won't scare me as much as when I <laughs> clicked on a video of an interview with her the other day and did not expect. Not, not only did I not expect that voice, which you know, some people like. Fair enough. But um, I did not expect her to be British. So it being mixed, being hit with that all at once was an experience. I knew she I was British because I saw I apologise, actually. That was really uncalled for, Mia Goth. It was mean, but also Yeah, valid. sorry, Emma. Emma? You said Emma. That's I why said I Emma because I'd seen her in Emma. I said Emma and then I called her Emma Goth. And then yeah. me, 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 me. So I knew she was British, but I didn't know she sounded like that. And it did take me by surprise. And she's very, very good friends with uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who's in the menu. She is. What a great link. What a great segue. What a great link. That that would be a great segue into start talking about the menu. Yeah, yeah. And Anya Taylor-Joy, who's in The New Mutants, which is a Marvel film, as is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Brilliantly done segue. Let's talk about The New Mutants instead. Let's do that again. We reviewed that before, <laughs> long before you were on the podcast. Hated the. New what do you think of the new mutants? Hated it. <laughs> it was boring. I, uh, weirdly, though, Anya Taylor Joy was great in it. She was great. 
She was. I Everything think a lot of the cast shit. were actually. I think most of the cast were good. Uh, the film but, was just dreadful. I don't think it was dreadful. You I know, the do. problem thing with the New Mutants is that it had so much potential, and you could almost because it went through so many revisions and reshoots <laughs> and shit. You could smell in there that there was definitely a very good idea and a very yeah. good film, but it was just covered in a, a kind of mesh of just shit. But I, I really wanted to love it, and if you go back and listen to my review for, for it, I'm really positive for it on it, but not because I think it's a good film, because it's obviously not a very good film. Yeah, but because I know it was so close to being a good film it could have been good. anyway i remember when i reviewed it i i didn't review it on here i just wrote a review on letterboxd um and i said i remember an executive said about it it was rewritten and reshot that many times it would have been cheaper to just scrap the film and write an entirely new different film um and i remember thinking they should Called have just done girl. that they should have just done that because it was awful um, and it was also very sadly how the fox <coughs> x-men universe died yeah. However, it is going to be revived soon with Deadpool three because yes. they're gonna, they're going to, and oh yeah, we didn't talk about that. Apparently, um, Deadpool three is going to feature the original Fantastic Four. Apparently. Oh right, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. How interesting. Including you and oh, right. Okay. Oh, so, also another um, piece of Deadpool related news. The- um, <laughs> apparently, my favorite type. <laughs> apparently, Ryan Reynolds wrote a Deadpool Christmas film. Um, that was going to get made, but it got lost in the Disney-Fox merger, and it just never happened. Oh, Got lost in, t- in in time. Yeah. Never to be found again. Thank God. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind Deadpool, it's fine. Neither Deadpool do I. I don't good. know why I said that. I think a Deadpool Christmas film would be pretty fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, they kind of did that, because they kind of marketed the PG version of Deadpool 2 as a Christmas film, do you remember? Like, they gave yeah. it the Christmas advertising. Yeah, Even they did that with the first Deadpool one on Valentine's Day, didn't they? Did they? Yeah, the first one came out on Valentine's Day and they marketed it as a Valentine's Day film. And I think the opening line of it is something like, oh, your boyfriend told you that this was a nice, sweet rom-com. Well, fuck you, it's not, you bitch. It's something like that. Very Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> You're really intimidating, actually. You're quite scary. <laughs> it's Have a very, very unfunny work? Ryan Reynolds voiceover that was funny yeah, in 2015, but those. not anymore. Yeah, I always feel it's unfair on Deadpool. Like, the problem with Deadpool is that everything Ryan Reynolds does is Deadpool. But in a way, that should mean that I don't mind Deadpool. Because it's like, that one's not actually trying to be Deadpool. It is just Deadpool. Yeah. So, like, I shouldn't really judge it for that. But, like, I judge all of his other performances. So, maybe when Deadpool 3 comes out, I just feel like by this point, I just I, it would, I would just be so tired of the concept. Yeah, I'm just over like, it. That's because, the issue. Because he Deadpools it up in, like, Red Notice and shit. Yeah, he only ever plays Deadpool, so I'm bored of it, even when it's Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's got a film out now, doesn't he? He has, he has a film. He Will does. Ferrell it's out. called Spirited. I think it's on Apple Original. It's in, it's in some theaters, but not many. Do you think anyone's seen it? Um, I'm sure someone has. I'm sure Ryan Reynolds. I has. think someone has. Yeah, yeah, probably. I thought it got lost in the Fox <laughs> in the murder. Disney Fox merger. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Speaking of the Disney Fox merger. Speaking of Disney Fox merger, (laughs) originally made by Fox. Okay, I'd like to clarify from earlier. Not only was I not telling the truth when I said that this film is about how um, Martin (laughs) Freeman becomes the Black Panther. I also got his character's name wrong. Um, 
I said Emmett Ross, but it is Everett Ross. All right. Yeah. Okay. So Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the newest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and follows the lives of the kind of uh, highest up members of Wakanda um, in the aftermath of the death of uh, King T'Challa, which of course mirrors the real life death of the actor Chadwick Boseman, who played him. Uh, the film stars uh, a ensemble cast, including the likes of, but not limited to, Latita Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Danai Guerra, uh, Dominic Thorne, Angela Bassett, Julie Louis Dreyfus, the aforementioned Martin Freeman, uh, Tenok Huerta as Namor, uh, Winston Duke, and I'm probably forgetting someone else. Michaela Cole. Read the name of Michaela Cole, who's very underused. Yeah, um, I think that's all of the main cast. Florence yes. Kasumba as well as a um, AO. Right. Um, UFC um, welterweight champion um, Kamara Usman makes uh, a, I think two cameo appearances in the film, which is um, which is particularly interesting for me. Oh, right. it, and. Yeah, almost in the similar vein that um, is it Ngannou was in Fast and Furious Nine, who's the heavyweight champion. So, anyway, I don't know who any of those people I, are. <laughs> you probably you might you've probably heard of Ronda Rousey. I believe she was also in a Fast and Furious film. I think she was in Fast and Furious Seven, which is a particular highlight of the series. If I do say so myself, I haven't heard okay. of that person. But you've not on. heard of Ronda Rousey? I don't think so. The name doesn't ring a bell. Wowie, you hate women. Okay, um, the film is directed, of course, by Ryan Coogler, who directed the first film and also the first two Creed films. Um, so, um, yeah, the the plot of the film revolves around, as I've mentioned, in the aftermath of the death of uh, T'Challa, uh, there is a power struggle uh, and the queen um, is, is named um, T'Challa's mother, Angela Bassett's character, um, but then whilst um, there is some uh, confusion around Wakanda, some um, unrest around Wakanda, uh, a new foe arrives in the form of Tenokuwa's Namor, the Submariner, uh, who kind of controls uh, the Atlanteans, um, who have a very similar proposition to the one that Eric Killmonger has in the first film. Um, this all intersects with a subplot about an American's trying to take vibranium. Okay, so, without further ado, Lewis, what did you think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Now, I'll I'll say, of course, you... Well, you were going to be banned from reviewing Marvel films. That was my yeah. plan, to ban you from reviewing Marvel films. The fact and then that the I'm next here... And came out, I am, I'm, I've not banned you. And the reason why is because I believe, firstly, the first Black Panther is a level above most MCU films. I think we can agree it's, yeah. it's one of the standouts. And also because of the the cast, the director, and the subject matter, and the say, so the, the, <clears throat> the situation around Bozeman, this also felt far greater in importance uh, than the average Thor 5 or, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, fucking, I don't know... Um, Wolfman or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the fact that I'm here like is indicative of how I feel about it. Okay. However, what did you think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Please, can you go first? Because I feel like I've been speaking so much. I did the news, then I did the menu, then I did Banshees. 
please can you go first? I just did a big whole spiel about this film. All right then. Okay, I'll go first. No, you go first. You go first. You go first. You go first. I go first. Okay, I'll go first. I'll take the, uh, I'll take the dive. I'll take the leap. Um, as you have just explained, I am not the massive fan of Marvel. It's not been my cup of tea for a while now. Um, and many issues I have with Marvel in general, the issues that I had with Thor and No Way Home, even though I gave No Way Home 10 out of 10, um, I, they are still prevalent in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. However, and it's a big however, this is different. This is good. I have said about every Marvel film that's released in ages, I didn't say about No Way Home immediately, but when I rewatched it, I realized I was just riding on nostalgia the first time. I have said they're all just average. There's nothing interesting about them. They're all just average. They're all solid, adequate films. Black Panther's different. It's good. It's actually good. There are good elements to it. I have a few bad things. I'm going to get those out of the way now. Marvel really needs to do something about their green screen slash the volume because there are some frames in this that just look ridiculous. It looks like people stood in front of a painting it looks awful, and there is no excuse for a $200 million movie to have one single bad frame, especially when it's a green screen or a vol a, a, the volume shot. Um, they really need to polish that up. The volume is very new technology, and I really feel like Greg Frazier is the only guy who knows to use it even nearly well. Um, so just stop using it and polish up the CGI, because there's some horrible CGI in this film as well. Um as you kind of touched on in your intro, the plot is very similar to the first one. It's about an outsider coming in and wanting to expose Wakanda to the rest of the world. So I felt like they rehashed a lot of the plot points from the first one. And I thought this isn't as innovative as I want it to be, as I want the story to be. Um, I think that's it for the negatives. Other than the stuff I've mentioned about every Marvel film where I just don't feel like there's the love behind it that I want. Although... There is in this. This is good. There is love behind this. There is passion behind this. If I can tell that Ryan Coogler cares about this story. I can tell that the cast care about this story, especially because, of course, obviously the family, the fictional family inside the film are mourning the death of T'Challa, but the cast and the crew are mourning the death of Chadwick Boseman. And the audience are as well, because, you know, Black Panther was the biggest cultural movement ever. Um, and it was a huge loss. And you can really feel the love and the care that they put into this film, trying to pay tribute to the character as well as the actor. Um, I was a bit worried um, that they would get bogged down a bit in trying to pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman and they wouldn't just tell a good story. Um, kind of a bit like, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's um, Robert Redford's last film is called The Old Man and the Gun. And it gets bogged down in the fact that it's Robert Redford's last film. Like they were making it aware that it was his last film, he retired, and it's full of references to him and it being his last film about an old man retiring. Right. And I was like, I was worried that they were going to get bogged down in paying tribute to Chadwick Boseman, that they forgot to just make a good film that, you know, paid tribute and honor to the characters and the story and the people who yeah. loved it. They didn't do that. This is an amazing tribute to Chadwick Boseman and the characters, and it's a great story, you know. I, I was shocked with how they spoke about T'Challa in this because I didn't expect that. I kind of expected them to be like, T'Challa was perfect. He was amazing. He was the best of us. They don't do that. They criticize T'Challa and the way he handled things. 
And I think that was a great way to go because the best way to honor these characters isn't necessarily um, the best way to honor Chadwick Boseman's legacy. And in this case, it was the best way to honor these new characters, this new list of characters taking over this mantle and this story is the best way to honor Chadwick Boseman. It's got some interesting fight choreography, some interesting cinematography. The technical aspects aren't that great. I thought the editing was a bit choppy, Um, but the story is the really impactful thing here. The story is brilliant. It's a self-contained little thing. I People are always shocked that I say Ant-Man is one of my favorite MCU films because at the time it was Age of Ultron leading up to Infinity War. Everything was universe ending and Ant-Man was just this little heist film that wasn't really connected to anything else. And that's what Black Panther is as well. It's this very self-contained story. It didn't feel like an MCU film and I cannot believe I'm saying that. I remember watching Thor 4 and thinking this is just exactly the same as every other film they've made. This feels different. This doesn't feel like it's in the same universe as Thor 4. It feels new. It feels fresh, which is the highest compliment I can pay to a Marvel film, the fact that it feels fresh. The performances in this film by basically everyone are amazing. Everyone's on top form. Um, Tenoch Huerta is an amazing villain, captivating villain, um, also incredibly hot. Angela Bassett's on top form. Letitia Wright steals the show. She is fantastic as like, she's the protagonist of this film and it's really her performance. She knocks it out of the park. There, there are so many moments where she's got the weight of this entire film on her shoulders and she takes it fantastically. Um, the costume design, Ruth Carter's costume design, she won an Oscar for the first one. She better polish her shelf because I reckon she's getting another one because the costume design in this is phenomenal. Everything that everyone wears is fantastic. It's gorgeous. The score is amazing. Obviously, a big plot point of this is who is the next Black Panther going to be? And every time something had happened, I'd want to hear the Black Panther theme from the first one, the drums and the the horns, and it never came, it never kept coming, and then when it gets revealed who the next Black Panther is, the Black Panther theme comes on, and it's so triumphant, and it's amazing, and Ludwig Göransson's score, he won an Oscar for the first one, don't reckon he's going to win a one for the second one, but it's still fantastic, it's a great score, those are the big standouts for me, the acting, the score, and the costume design, amazing. Um, Mm-hmm. I really, really, I enjoyed Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's it's not about Black Panther. It's not really a Black Panther film. I remember when the title was revealed as Wakanda Forever, I was like, that's a bit of a shit title. It's just because the phrase from the first one became such a cultural moment that they're kind of capitalizing on that. But it makes complete sense. This isn't a film about Black Panther. This is a film about Wakanda. It's not even a film about Shuri or... Ramonda or the characters this is a film about Wakanda as a nation and as a people and Wakanda Forever is the perfect title for it it's it's great my biggest criticism of it is that Everett Ross is did you say that was his name or is it Emmett Ross which one was right which one was wrong Everett is Everett Everett Ross shouldn't have been in this film for more than a scene the first scene he has it was acceptable every other scene was just rubbish there was no point in him being here it could have been on an off in an off-screen voice only cameo um there's n- he every time he came back on screen it took me out i wasn't interested in that like i said it feels like a self-contained story um away from the rest of the mcu and i feel like the only reason martin freeman and a certain other character that i won't name because some people won't want to know um is in it 
is purely so they can kind of point and like nudge you and say, yeah, this is still a Marvel film. Look, Marvel film connects to the other films. Guess what? You know, something's happening in the next one. Um, and I didn't like that. I just wanted to get back to the Wakanda story. I wasn't interested in what Martin Freeman and the other person was doing. That just bored me. It took, it ruined the pacing. Uh, those scenes were written a bit shit compared to the rest. But other than that, I really enjoyed Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's one of the best Marvel films. Um, it's the perfect sequel to the first one. It's the perfect, um, you know, it, you know, obviously they were dealt a horrible hand with the fact that Chadwick Boseman died and they did something unbelievably impressive in giving us the perfect follow-up to one of the biggest cultural moments of the 21st century, really. Mm. Um, it's great. It's great. I can't believe I'm saying that it's great, but it's great. When I watched it, I know that I'm banned from talking about Marvel on here, and I was like, I actually want to do this, because for once, yeah. I feel something. Like, when I, I, I didn't rate Thor Love and Thunder on Letterboxd, because... I didn't care enough about it to even think of a number to attach to it. I wasn't like, oh, it's a 4 out of 10, it's a 7 out of 10, it's a 5 out of 10. I just didn't care. I just forgot about it immediately. When I watched this one, I cared about it. I can feel the passion from the people who made it. And that's the thing that has been missing from Marvel for so long for me, is the passion and the love that gets put in every single scene, in every single frame. Yeah. And it's here in Black Panther. You can tell that Ryan Coogler cares about this character and these characters. You can tell that the cast cares about telling this story, even more so in this one than the first one, because as I said, this is also about Chadwick Boseman as well. And yeah, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, It's great. It's great. Yeah, okay. Um, what did you think of Black so, Panther Wakanda Forever? What did I think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Um... Well, yeah, um, a lot of things uh, similarly to you. Um, some things perhaps that you did mention. Um, yes, I think that ultimately, regardless of the content of the film, I think it it fulfills the purpose that it's set out to do in being a adequate emotional send-off for Bozeman. I think that regardless of kind of the, the superhero stuff, the kind of to um to a, the double edged sword of providing a kind of on screen funeral for Chichala, but also providing a memorial for the actor, which happens right at the beginning and right at the end of the film. Uh, I think you know that's done excellently, and and that's one of the things that I think is the most notable from the film. Um, and and I, I think that that's one of the things I looked for, and everyone looked for going into the film was a kind of a, a way to mourn. Uh, and I think that's done excellently. I think the way they handle the character's death is wonderful as well. Um, not just from a, a kind of real life perspective, but an in-universe perspective. It, that is great. Yeah. The story is a bit similar to the original. Um, they're both kind of very similar um, stories about... They're both obviously anti-colonialist stories. Both having um, people that are also being... They've also felt oppression... Um, kind of trying to kind of twist the hand of Wakanda into kind of being quite um, militaristic towards their oppressors, um, whilst the kind of uh, Wakandans seem to uh, kind of uh, disagree with that concept. In this case, it's the um, Atlanteans. I can't remember what they're called in this film. They don't use Atlantis. I, I'm, I'm assuming that's because they're worried about people thinking that it's a ripoff of Aquaman rather than the actual reality of being the other way around. 
Um, but the Atlanteans, led by Namor, um, are trying to get the Wakandans to stand up against um, the Americans who are currently kind of trying to exploit their um, their source of uh, vibranium. Um, so yeah, whilst there was a little bit of redundancy, again, I think it, it worked quite well for actually the first one in kind of continuing that and, and pushing it further. And there's a nice uh, few times where they allude to the first one, allude to Killmonger. I think that's done very well. Uh, I think the new additions, uh, such as Dominic Thorne's character, Ryu Williams. I completely uh, forgot to mention how great she was. Yeah, she was great. Uh, I don't know how old she is. I do. I, I have no idea how old the, char- uh, the actress is. Dominic Thorne. Um, I do remember quite a few times thinking, I don't know if she is college age, but I'm struggling to believe she's college age. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's maybe she is college age and she's kind of mature. But I was like, I don't know. But yeah, she's twenty four. Can't. Okay, so she's not really that far off college age. For, for some reason, I, I kind of struggle to believe that. Yeah. Maybe her character maybe is nineteen, I so I kind of get that. Yeah, but regardless, she plays a kind of young genius, uh, kind of prodigy. I mean, if anyone knows the comics, she's kind of the equivalent of um, Miles Morales to Spider-Man, uh, and she's she's that to Iron Man. She's a young, mm. up-and-coming scientist with that ends up with the same kind of powers, same kind of way as Miles Morales. Uh, in this one, you see some allusions towards her Iron Man thing, but obviously that's going to be explored more in her her series. But she's very interesting and. Um, an excellent addition to the kind of mythos. Um, the strongest thing from, you know, I do think they're not necessarily all the technical areas uh, areas are bad, like you said. Uh, for example, I really quite like the the glossy cinematography. I, it's not at the same level as the original film, but I think the cinematography is very good. Um, and I, I very much enjoyed the choreography and such. But of all of the things, the performances, anything, the standout kind of uh, feeling I got, the, the strength of this film is from the exceptional world building that Cougar does. It really, Wakanda, once again, you know, it's that kind of thing, New York is a character, that cliche. It's almost like that with Wakanda. You really feel for Wakanda, you understand how it works, you feel for the people, you understand this, this big group of uh, kind of characters. It's a very much an ensemble picture, you know, with um, the, the the royal family and with the Dora Milaje, who are led by... Um, Okoye, who's arguably kind of one of the main characters in this film, and you've got, you say, Winston Duke and his his clan, and then you've got a real feeling for, the, you know, you get a great explanation of the of Atlantis, or whatever it's called. Um, you get a real feeling for those. I think that just generally the world is created exceptionally, whether that is through, um, you know, CGI, cinematography, well-written script, exploration of, of character arcs. I think it's just a very well-created world, and I think that's ultimately the greatest strength. You really feel like you, you know, it's a livable area in Wakanda. You really feel like you get to know the place, you get to know the characters. And again, it's not. It's very much an ensemble piece, constantly throwing new characters in there, but it never seems to get confused. It always knows what it's doing, both in terms of being that memorial, being that sequel, but also a very interesting standalone story. Some of the criticisms I'll say, the third act is very rushed. Uh, I feel like the conclusion comes so quickly, you never really had a feeling that there was any real conflict because you got so quickly through said conflict. Uh, that's one issue that I will highlight um, kind of straight up. Uh, other than that, again, um, there is, uh, I, I could predict that there is a couple of questions that are asked that I think are very predictable. Um, a lot of the kind of big revelations that happened within the film didn't shock me. The end didn't shock me. The Black Panther didn't shock me. The all these things, the revelations didn't shock me. Uh, the post-credit scene, which was great, didn't shock me. Um, 
I, I did feel this film was kind of continually decently predictable. Um, and as you highlighted uh, a minute ago, the whole um, Julie Louis-Dreyfus uh, and Martin Freeman stuff is completely unnecessary. Completely yeah. takes out the film. There has one bit of, of, of plot that kind of connects him in there that you kind of need him for. You could just write it out with a line. There is really no need to have them in there. It just it slowed down the film. Um, again, otherwise pretty fast-paced, but it slowed down the film uh, and, and didn't seem to add anything other than saying, we have these two famous people in this film. Yeah. Um, and, but one of the strengths, I'm not going to talk about what happens in the post credit scene, but my I'm going to talk about the post credit scene of Black Panther, the original one. I remember going to see Black Panther and having no knowledge of Marvel, right? I probably hadn't seen a Marvel film since the original Avengers yeah. when... Um, or maybe that's probably... I might have seen one or two. I might have seen Ant-Man or something. I don't know. Um, I might have seen Gardens of the Galaxy, maybe. But anyway, when I went into Black Panther, my knowledge of Marvel was very low and I hadn't seen the films and, and I was very much kind of... didn't like the idea of Marvel. I wasn't really into it. Um, and I remember watching Black Panther and being like, whoa, this is really, really good. Like, I love this. And then the post credit scene came on and fucking Bucky Barnes showed up in the post credit scene. <laughs> I thought, why have they done this? They've made this like cheesy cinematic universe bullshit. I just want this cool standalone story. And one thing that this film does is it never feels cinematic university. Yeah. It didn't have any cameos in the in the funeral. It wasn't like we saw... You know, I saw people moaning on Twitter. I don't want to see the fucking Hulk at the funeral. That would completely take me out of the film. Yeah. I, I didn't want to hear... Um, you know, Riri Williams getting a, a phone call from fucking Tom Holland or anything. I, di I just didn't want that shit. And yeah. even through to the post credit scene, when you have a shock, which is kind of universe changing and kind of a big deal and kind of worth sitting through the credits for, it still doesn't, um, you know, make you feel like this is, is, you know, just one piece in the large puzzle. It still keeps it standalone, which is something I appreciate. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, it it doesn't use the post credit scene to set up the next film, which was a shock. Yes, exactly. It does to a degree, but it doesn't do it to set up Avengers film. Yeah, it doesn't do so, it to set. It's, it does it to set up Black Panther three rather than Ant Man, which is the next Marvel film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is one thing that you know I appreciate. Yeah. Um, people have described this film as uh, having a, a good claim to Marvel's first acting nomination for Angela Bassett in this film. I've heard not one but multiple people. Saying that, that there's a real chance Angela Bassett I've heard could come out with thing. an Oscar nomination from this film. Angela Bassett is class, right? She is, she is amazing, right? Yeah. But there's no way she's even in the top three performances in this film. Agreed. I, I'm so happy. You I, said I, that. I was just about to I'm say. I'm very surprised that she is the the one standout apparently here because I think um, Letitia Wright uh, and um, Lupita Nyong'o. And I think uh, the name escapes me, but the person that plays a Koye, Dano Guerrero, yes, all stood out more than me. Agreed, more for me. Um, especially uh, the thing is, I think Lapita and Yongo is the standout when it comes to how good the performance is. Probably because Lapita Yongo is one of the best working actors. Uh, but Letitia Wright has such a starring role; you get to see the excellence a lot more. So, yeah, and also, uh, of course. Um, Dominique Thorne, who's excellent as well. Yeah, she is. A lot of great performances. Tenet Quirt is great as well. But yeah, I, I the acting, I, these people are very committed. These people are doing this for Chadwick. It's very much shown. There's a lot of passion in there. It isn't just like another, I'm signed up for 15 Marvel films. You really get the feeling that everyone was really involved emotionally uh, in the project. 
Uh, and I think ultimately that just creates better art. Everybody wanted to make this good. Everyone yeah. wanted to celebrate this. And that leads to better art. And as you said, if more Marvel films are like that, it would lead to better content. You can say that. You can feel the, the love that's, that uh, Taika Waititi has when he creates Ragnarok. You don't feel that same love when he creates Love and Thunder. Mm. When we just, I feel like having a, a ridiculous number of projects that are constantly coming out, it feels like they're just trying to work to schedule. When you get something like this where they really get their time to feel something out, really have time something to, to create something they love, create something they're proud of, Marvel ha- still has the potential now to create great pieces of work, great pieces of cinema. And I think that, that Black Panther... I did find issues with it and I did come out there thinking this maybe wasn't necessarily as great as I said for the reasons I've already described. It was a very fitting tribute and ultimately I enjoyed it. What I did not enjoy, Lewis, is I did not enjoy the cinema experience that I had. I am Pray never tell. going to Wood Green Cinema again. I am never going to Wood Green Cinema again in my life. Pray tell. From minute one, no one would shut the fuck up, Lewis. <laughs> it was just constant chatter. And if anything, you know, that funeral scene is emotional and music driven <clears throat> and, you know, and atmospheric and, and, and heartbreaking. But all I heard was a bunch of fucking cunts that had just gotten out of school <laughs> fucking arguing with her and chatting shit. And I'm like, oh, just fucking grow up, fellas. Jesus Christ. Mate, have have some decorum, mate. Yeah. And um, it continued throughout. And once it got into more of the action-y stuff, I didn't mind as much because it kind of creates an atmosphere. And I'm like, okay, that's not too bad, I guess. It's still quite constant. And then suddenly, halfway through the film, some woman gets up, walks over to, to the top of the, the cinema and goes, you lot shut the fuck up or I'll bang you in the face. <laughs> and I was pissing myself i was absolutely dying me and my mate were and then throughout the film and and as much as the guys that were chatting loads of shit were annoying me i i've got to give credit every single time there's a fight scene for the rest of the film someone at the back would go i'll bang you in the face every time <laughs> oh, and it, it got the cinema roaring i'll say um yeah not a great cinema experience um but that is that's part and parcel of this uh, this industry. You know, eventually you're going to end up in a lot of shitty screenings. Yeah. Um, it's not as bad that time I saw someone having sex in the Duke. So, oh wow, uh, the Duke, the Duke being the film um, with um, Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent, not the Duke being like a place, like <laughs> a pub or something. Uh, <laughs> so yes, so um, that was my experience, but. My cinema experience itself, my film experience was um, was a lot better. Again, didn't think it was perfect because of the reasons I said. So I'm going to end up giving it an still pretty high, 8 out of 10. Uh, I quickly want to say, add on something. Um, one of the, one of my least favourite things about this was the production design. You were talking about the world building. The world building in terms of the narrative, yeah. But I think the production design, it won an Oscar for the production design. I think that's an awful decision because I think the production design in this one in particular, everything looks very plastic. It looks very fake. Uh, and when it doesn't look plastic, it looks CGI. I don't like the production design. The underwater city, um, 
it actually it made me laugh when um, something happens. Some of the characters are looking at the underwater city, and the cameras on their faces, and they look in complete awe. They're like, "Oh my god!" And the music is building. The music is triumphant, and you think it's going to be the most awe-inspiring, beautiful thing you've ever seen. And then the camera turns around, and it's just a very murky, average shot of exactly what you'd expect an underwater city to look like. It didn't look impressive. It didn't look stunningly beautiful. I thought that was really a weak point. The world building of the I, underwater I disagree, city. Actually, I thought that the, was the production bad. design. I, I quite, I quite enjoyed the production design. And I also thought that I also enjoyed the the underwater city a lot because I think you know the ultimate, the the, uh, the first thing you're going to imagine is Aquaman. Yeah. And Aquaman has that underwater city that's like vibrant and bright and exciting and like a modern paradise. And then when you had the the kind of the the, the city in um, the Atlantis in this film, it was murky and industrial and underdeveloped and i felt like i enjoyed that more because i i, I quite enjoyed that because it was like knowing that the the other interpretation that you could have gone with the aquaman angle this is like a realistic and i guess more apt when you're talking about colonization and how they've been underdeveloped and how they've been kept from the world and kept in the dark i thought that, that was a nice way of showing it and i thought personally I, I didn't have any issue with the cgi there i thought it was a nice i, I enjoyed that i thought it was very good i also, I didn't really have any issue with the production design. I thought the production design was all pretty good, to be honest. And the costume design was brilliant. But that's just my two cents. I, I agree in terms of it makes sense, but I still think it's possible to make a murky underwater city look good. Even if it doesn't look neon and vibrant, it can still look good. And it didn't to me. Um, okay. So I, I do have a lot of issues that I've not mentioned because there's no point. Who cares? Um, so I'm going to give this a 7.5 out of 10. Really? That's mad. You gave a way more positive review than me. And yeah, I just rating. I just omitted a lot of the negative stuff, I think, because there's no point in talking about it, because it's the stuff I say every time we talk about Marvel film. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. Um, I'm going to give my man of the match to Ryan Coogler, I think. Fair because enough. Because this film had a, a goal, um, and that was to, you know, make sure that without compromising the content of the film to give a, a, a good send-off for a beloved character, a beloved actor, and a massive part of the universe. And I think that he did that goal to an amazing degree. I think that he, he very much ticked that box. Uh, so I can't really say that he did anything wrong there. So I'm going to give my man that to Ryan Coogler. Fair enough. I find it interesting that you're saying the film had one goal, and it was to pay tribute to this character and this actor. I Whilst not... Whilst while not, not compromising anything, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I disagree, and that's why I love it. I don't think that was the goal of the film, and I think that's why it's the perfect tribute, is because it wasn't trying to be the perfect tribute. Um, the way that it was the perfect tribute is that they just cared enough to put their passion into it. Um, I don't think they sat down and thought, we need to make the perfect tribute to Chadwick Boseman. I think they sat down and said, we need to make a great film, and they did. And that's why it was the perfect tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Um I thought this was really difficult picking a man of the match because, as you say, Ryan Coogler, one of the only directors in the MCU that manages to make his films feel different, unique and full of passion. Um, but also the acting was fantastic. Um, but I, I think I have mentioned it. I have mentioned her. Uh, I think the one standout for me, every single scene, the costume design was impeccable. It was unbelievably good. So I think I'm going to have to give it to Ruth Carter for costume design. Un- 
unbelievable costume design. They pay tribute to T'Challa through the costumes. They pay tribute to Chadwick Boseman through the costumes. They told the stories through the costumes, the funeral wear, the mourning wear, the everyday wear, the royal wear. It was, the costume design is just unbelievably top-notch in this. And Ruth Carter is on form and she better be ready to get a second Oscar because she deserves it. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, good stuff. Um, I wonder how many times we get into a costume designer. I feel like we have done that before, but I wonder how many times we have. Yeah, um, costume design. Interesting. We gave it to yeah. costume design for Cruella, I think. That sounds right. That sounds right. Um, that sounds right. I feel like that's the kind of thing I'd do for a film I didn't like. Is that I like giving? <laughs> I think I have done that before for a film I didn't like. I was like, oh fuck it, I just give it like. I know I've done that for production design before. Yeah. I was like, oh fuck it, I'll give it. I can't really insult like the production design on it, so therefore, I give it to like. I think I might have given it like the costumes I have like the purge, the forever purge, or something, <laughs> um, which has got very good, um, very good costume design. It has and uh, great production purge. design as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. So what's the next man? Um, uh, next Marvel film is Ant Man Three, right? Yeah, I probably won't be here for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, at this point, like, I don't know if I'll be here for that. I mean, the trailer for that looks so miserable. It does. I saw it for the first time before Black Panther. Fuck me. That, it looks awful. I thought, I've seen yeah, a lot of people good, saying it? that it looks like Spy Kids, the green screens and the yeah. CGI looks like Spy Kids. I thought people were exaggerating. I thought it was Twitter's yeah, no. video compression. It's not. I saw it in IMAX. It looks fucking dreadful. Honestly, yeah, it could literally be Shark Boy and the Wasp. Like it, yeah. it's it, it looks that level. Like yeah, so murky. Like the murky in a bad way. Like it's yeah, like, all all those insults that about like um, Marvel's um, what's it called? Uh, color 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 um, grading. Sorry, color grading, um, and kind of i get obviously it's not necessarily the fault of the, the necessarily the color grading here i think it's more that the the assets they're using are just ugly yeah but yeah it has that kind of typical marvel grayness that everyone complains about yeah um, to say that we've yeah. just spoken about black panther which is pretty much as far away from the marvel norm that it you can get yeah and then we're going yeah. to Animal man and the wasp which is probably going to be the antithesis of everything that black panther is I'm looking forward to... I think that at least James Gunn's Marvel films seem... They seem directed. They seem... Yeah. Personal. There's love in there. And I, that's... For one of that for that reason, I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and the Christmas special that's coming out soon. That so, is true. I'm not all anti-Marvel. Um, I I'm am. sure I will. I, I probably <laughs> I probably will enjoy Ant-Man. Like, I'll probably like give it like a six or something. But um, Yeah. Oh, before yeah, we move sound. on quickly, I forgot to say something about Black Panther. Um, by moving on you mean finishing yeah exactly I need to get this in before we finish um, people are always shocked when I say that Okoye is my favourite Marvel character she's my favourite character she's in the class MCU in this. she is amazing in Black Panther um, the idea of a blindly loyal um, royal guard is the most interesting arc that a character has ever been through in the MCU um, and she's great in this she was a bit underused her scene um, when she breaks down in front of the Queen, unbelievable. Tane Guerrero is yep. amazing. Yeah. Um, I just love Okoye. Underused. I wasn't happy with how her character ended up, um, but she's still great, and she's still my favourite Marvel character. Well, um, 
the this is not the last. Of course, there will almost certainly be a Black Panther three because Black Panther is super popular. But uh, this is definitely not the last confirmed uh, installment of this little mini universe because. They've also, of course, got the um, Wakanda series, which is going to be coming out. I don't know when it's coming out. I don't know, but I believe that uh, Ryan Coogler is producing that. Mm. Um, and I think that's a very—it's a very natural progression to do a series based on this because, as I said, the whole world feels so well built, and there's so many characters. It's very interesting to see the the, the workings of that little, um, you know, the nation. So I'm looking forward to the, the Wakanda series. Well, it's probably my whole series that I'll actually get around to watching. I agree. I agree. Okay. I may enjoy it. Have you seen, quick again before we end, not about Black Panther, have you seen the new Avatar 2 trailer? No, I don't believe I have. Oh, it looks great. It looks great. This is That's the okay. only reason I paid to see Black Panther in IMAX 3D, because I wanted to see the Avatar 2 trailer. I saw it it's in a normal great. screen that was small and crowded and full of assholes. <laughs> My screen was dead. I was so shocked. The screen, there were like five people. I went to see it on like, in the evening. I expected it to be packed. There were about five people in there. I was gagged at how empty it was. I saw it, to be fair, I saw it eight days after it came out and it was absolutely rammed. So I saw it like, I think I saw it seven days, I think I saw it a week after it came out. I think I saw it the day before you or maybe two days before you and it was absolutely dead. Weird. I could not believe how empty it was. To be fair, Northerners famously racist. <laughs> I did see Black Panther 1 in the North, and that was really busy. And when Chadwick Boseman died and they brought um, Black Panther back, I went to see it then. And that was also really busy. So I don't think you can blame well the North's racism. Well done, guys. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> let's finish there, shall we? Um, maybe the next episode will be Doctor Who maybe perhaps most likely it won't be because we'll find something else maybe the next episode will be in 2023 who knows (laughs) yeah you really can't you can't uh, expect us to make more than one episode a fortnight or a month hopefully we see you before the next year (laughs) (laughs) hopefully yeah hopefully we'll see you before next year okay I'm going to see After Sun tomorrow that's why you didn't talk about it oh I forgot I I didn't uh, even mention that I saw that I did see After Sun. You saw that. I won't mention what I thought, but I did go and see it. After Sun. Okay. um, Your Twitter, Lewis, is um, LewisJWR. It is. Um, You're taking a short hiatus, you may say, but your your Twitter is (laughs) at LewisJWR. It is. Um, And my Twitter is SamHMedia. But if you really could only follow one account, I wouldn't recommend following either of ours. I'd recommend following Now Showing Pod because you can find out whenever we release the newest episodes. Um, Of course, you can also subscribe to the podcast via the likes of Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And the biggest way you can help us out is by telling your friends. But if you can't do that, you could at least, please, you've made it this far in the podcast, just give us a five-star rating, please. Um... And you can find us on that box at Sam Houston and LJWR, respectively. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your continued support. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. And goodbye. <laughs>